Now it's my pleasure to welcome Charlotte to Major League Soccer as our 30th team. And now your new owner, David Tepper. Charlotte. You ready to party? Please join me in welcoming Charlotte Football Club's first head coach, Miguel Angel Ramirez. Buenos dias. In the 2022 MLS Super Draft, presented by Adidas, Charlotte FC selects from the University of Maryland and Generation Adidas, Ben Bender. Welcome, Benvenuti. During the international break, while much of the news and coverage was about Charlotte FC's manager change, with Miguel Angel Ramirez out and assistant coach Christian Latanzio is now in, we talked with Ty Harden. He is the director of player relations for the MLSPA. In his role, he is responsible for overseeing the player relations department, which serves as the primary bridge between the MLS player pool and the MLSPA. Previously, Ty served as a player relations manager at the MLSPA. He was also an MLS player from 2007 to 2015 on five different clubs, and he served as their club's player representative for six years on three different teams. Ty is a native of Oregon and holds a BA in business from the University of Washington, where he played four years of college soccer. In 2007, the Los Angeles Galaxy made him the 23rd overall pick in the MLS draft. He ended up having 24 appearances as a defender for LA that season, but then left the game briefly to conduct a mission trip in Africa. He returned to the MLS, playing from 2009 to 2015, with most of the time spent with Toronto FC and the San Jose Earthquakes, with 69 appearances, until an injury forced him to retire. Let's meet Ty. All right. Well, welcome, Ty. Appreciate you coming to our podcast and uh, enlightening us on what the MLSPA does. Yeah, no problem. Happy to be here. Should be fun. Yeah. So uh, what is the MLSPA? It used to be something different. Yeah, the MLSPA. So it's it's the Players Association. And, and the formal answer is, you know, we're a democratic organization run by and for the players. And the control of the PAs is with the players. So our job is to represent those guys the best the best that we can. And and the simpler answer is I, I, I feel like I'm representing the younger version of myself. You know, I'm a former player. I played in the league a long time. So these guys are, they're like my, my family and like my brothers and, and like my kids in some instances now. And, and, and just that connection is really important for us. So what is it, what is it that you actually do? Cause you said it's a democratic, it's for the players. So tell us how it's structured so people can understand how that actually manifests itself. Yeah. So, you know, in my role and, and a big part of what the, the PA does is, is connect with players. We have to know what's going on. We have to sort of be, be like a player, be part of the players. So that's our job is to represent them. What that looks like is, you know, we have reps, both formal and sort of informal in every locker room. And, and, and if you paid attention, and obviously it's new there, we had bargaining committee members over the last few years. That, that was three guys in every place. We really try and have five, five at least reps in every city. 
so that we feel like we know what's happening with sort of every segment and, and, and piece of the locker room. Um, and that, that my job is really to sort of lead our team that works most directly uh, with players and it includes some other former players on our staff. And so when you say in the locker room, are these all players that you want to get our representatives and then they have like a, a, a council or an executive council that they talk to about their issues? There is, so we, you know, you can think of a funnel sort of in reverse, right? We, we, but we try and have personal relationships with everybody. You know, we know everyone on the team and they, they know us and, 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 and hopefully really well. Um, but we have a formal reposition and those guys formally vote. And we have also have an executive board that sort of oversees, you know, the entire PA. Okay, so how does, I guess, how does a player and in, in what step or what part of a player's being part of the MLS are they then a part of the MLSPA. Like yeah, does- so, yeah, no, so really, honestly, anybody who, who signs a contract in MLS is, is really, is we consider a member in the PA and, and basically every single person who's ever done that is formally a part of, of the union and they, they sign another piece of paper that makes them part of the, the formal union piece, but everybody does it and they're all members and, and um, we've had a lot of buy-in on that front. Um, and, and I think somewhere in the, in that question was like, how do you, how do you sort of move up and become, you know, an elected official and, and a team rep, you know, a lot of guys start out and they, they get to know their teammates and they get to know their rep and they get to know us and they get more involved sort of naturally as, as, as they progress. But we also have some specific young player outreach and, and informal positions for them. And then ultimately player reps are all voted by their team. So those guys are, you know, their peers elect them. And then those peers elect an executive board. And that's sort of how the process unfolds. And can you share who the, the members are on Charlotte FC? Yeah. I mean, our, our, our formal, and obviously it's a newer team. Um, the, the, the formal rep there is Brant Bronico and that that's, for today, the only guy I want to share, but um, we have several other guys that we talk to a ton and, and that are sort of in those informal positions as well. What is the, the most challenging part of your job? Oh, man. Um, I love challenges. They're fun. Um, you know, the certainly COVID and the protocols and the CBA negotiations over the last two years two or honestly two plus years was, was a major challenge for all of us and, and probably the whole world included. But when you, when you throw in, you know, the protocols plus all of the CBA just stuff, there was challenges at times. And then obviously we have a, a huge player pool, right. With 800 plus guys and people from all over the place. And I think that's a real strength. Um, I think it's absolutely a strength of our player pool. Um, but working with so many different people also can be a challenge, right? And it's something that I think we look forward to and I think we think we do really well. Um, and honestly, something that I enjoy a ton, but it certainly can be a challenge too. Well, well thinking about that, I want to get back to the CBA in a second. So you were, of course, a player back, you were drafted by LA Galaxy 23rd. Like you were, you were a high profile player. You were a defender, right? Yep, I was a defender. <laughs> And then you played for Toronto FC and you also played for San Jose Earthquakes kind of after you, you took that year away from the game. Um, did it. So tell me how being in that role and understanding that, how is the, the collective bargaining agreement that you all had when you were playing compared to now? Like what, is the, what are the advantages and things that players have now received as, as we've moved on? 
Yeah, and it's funny because that that sort of maturation for me was so natural from you're a young player and you realize there's a CBA and there's rules and, and you learn about the PA and the union at the time and you get to know the guys that are reps and you sort of, I found myself as a player rep for a long time in my time playing and, and honestly, I really enjoyed it. And I think it was my personality. My, my parents come from, from nonprofit backgrounds and like helping people was a big part of their life. And it rubbed off on me without me even realizing it and helping guys and getting answers and solving problems was something that was really important to me. So I think that was a huge draw to me when I, when I was retiring, I had a, I had a second major hip surgery and was, wasn't able to play anymore. And a door opened at the PA. And honestly, it was one of those things where I had no idea. I didn't think of it as a job. I didn't think of it as a post career but then it was like a light bulb and it was a perfect, <laughs> it was a perfect job. And, 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 you know, we had made a lot of improvements over the previous CBAs and this stuff is, it's like building blocks and there's a foundation and, and um, you know, way in the early days of MLS, they were starting at the beginning. And I felt like players before me worked really hard. I felt like I worked hard during my career to make improvements. And I, you know, I felt like the job wasn't done yet and I was committed to it and I was committed to players. And like I said, I feel like they're my little brothers. I feel like they're my family and, and, you know, the player rights in this country need to, to move along with how we've seen the trajectory of soccer grow. So, so it was just something I was really impassioned about. And, and um, certainly we've seen improvements. You're never, you're never all the way there, but, but, you know, we have guys signing real free agent deals with, with real increases and in a, choice of where they're going to play and um it's just awesome to see because <laughs> that's a major difference from when i joined the league yeah you were kind of locked into where you were and your salary really didn't move and player movement didn't much happen either during yeah. your time yeah no that's right yeah i mean when i came into the league and honestly when i was leaving the league until my last year in the league not a single player had ever had a real formal say in where he was going to play um so free agency was really important so what, what made, and you may or may not know this, what made the MLS switch and understand why that needed to, to happen? Um, I think the only answer, honestly, and I, is the PA. I, I, you know, we fought for it. Players stood up and fought for it. That's the real answer. Players weren't willing to take a deal in 2015 that didn't have free agency in it. Makes sense. I mean, think about every other professional organization and how free-flowing it can be. Now, I know a big concern with the MLS has always been the whole salary structure. Um, and so you guys, every spring, put out a salary guide. And that's just kind of to show where everybody is. But can you kind of explain to us what the salary guide is as far as like, you know, we have designated players, we have senior rosters, we have supplemental players. Like how does, how do you all work with them and that? Or is, is it just your job just to show everybody's salaries? Yeah, and, and it's a great question, and it's one I'm glad you asked because just on the basics of it, I think without thinking through it through the player's lens, I don't know that people actually understand why we put it out, and transparency is great, and we wish there were more of it around MLS, so that is certainly part of it, but honestly, we really do it because it helps guys when they're renegotiating a, a, a contract. I mean, that's the real answer is – if you know what someone else is making, you have more leverage to get a market price. I mean, that's the, the simplest answer and that we put it out through those lens. So the way we think about it is 
how is that guy going to be able to use it? I mean, that's the simplest answer, honestly. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, how else, how else would they know unless uh, somebody published it, right? Yeah, that's right. And so I think the second part of your answer was MLS is just too convoluted with too many rules. And, and they claim, you know, at one point it was necessary for the league to survive. We're so far past that today um, that I think we, we need to see some of this stuff. And I think we will um, continue to evolve. The, the rules were once to create efficiencies in spending. And I think they're having the exact opposite effect today. They're creating inefficiencies because there's not only one way to build a team and it doesn't have to fit in this sort of MLS box, right? And if teams are spending, you know, 15, 20 plus million dollars, like why can't they have a little bit more say in, in the way they do it? And honestly, like, why don't we give more CSOs and coaches and GMs the, the, the power to, to, to make decisions? You know, I was at the Charlotte Seattle game this weekend and, and why is MLS from 3000 miles away from that game and 3000 miles away from Seattle, why are they telling them there's sort of one way to build a roster for us? It just, it doesn't make sense anymore where we are today. Yeah, I, I agree. So what you do publish in that salary guide is an annualized base salary and an annualized average guaranteed compensation. What are the differences and how does that work? Yeah, we do. So, and, and, you know, I could get a technical person on and give you the exact perfect answer. <laughs> um, but, but the annualized salary, the reason it's annualized, the first is, is because that's how MLS sort of thinks about player salary, just to make it sort of even across, across teams and across times. So that's just sort of a norm in MLS. Um, and the base salary is exactly what it sounds like. It's not additional numbers. It's not bonuses. It's sort of that paycheck every two weeks. What is that number? What does that number look like? The guaranteed comp number is, and I think a lot of people point to this and, and point it out is it's sort of a, it, it's almost annualized over the life of a contract so that it's, you don't look at it one year and it's misleading when this guy's on a four-year deal. It's meant to sort of smooth those bumps so that if there's a big year or a little year at any one time, you can kind of see what that like market price for that player is. And that's the way we think about it. So, you know, some of the stuff isn't included in that number that, you know, people make arguments should be or, or shouldn't be. Right. Yeah. I know one of the biggest things around here was that we were near the bottom of the the rankings, yep. but when they bring in the acquisition fees, we're like seventh. And so they're yep. saying, well, why isn't that included? It's funny because, and I'm not picking on anyone individually here, there, or otherwise, but people say that it's like, well, you have the numbers. You could release them if you want them out there. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we do it because we've looked through the player's lens and how is it helpful. Transfer fees are not always apples to apples. They're not always as clear on where that money goes and ends up. And we think about the money that ends up in players' pockets. I mean, that's just that's just how we think about it. Uh, Plus for Charlotte FC, I mean, they had to do all of their players at once. So it's like a ton of transfers and acquisition fees. So it's definitely inflated this year compared to normal years. It definitely is. That's that's definitely right. And and it's not to say some of those folks don't have points out there, like, but just the way that we think about it and the way that we do it. And honestly, we try and be consistent from year to year. So you can compare it to years past. That's how we've always done it. And, and, and from our perspective and from players perspective, it makes a lot of sense. So under this current CBA, so I'm kind of coming back to that, 
we have definitely an increase of like 55%. I think that's what the numbers say in salary for senior minimum salaries. And it keeps going up. I think this year it was like 83 and it's supposed to get up to hundred by the end. Does that sound, I know you said nope. you're not yeah. into all the technical stuff, but, um, but that's, that's pretty significant for basically the minimum salary for any senior member to be at a hundred thousand, especially with inflation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is in the minimum salaries, you know, obviously there's a lot of guys that that affects and we think it affects the professionalism and the lives players can lead. And that, you know, MLS is at a certain point today and teams are at a certain point where, where guys should be at that level. And, and that was a really important piece. And honestly, it's always been, and I think it probably is in every sport um, in our country that, that those minimums signify something and that being a part of this roster means something, right? And you got to pay along with that. So those are certainly really important. Obviously, 100,000 is a nice round number. It's an easy thing to set as a target, but, but certainly the progress on that front, you know, is always going to have to continue. And then also there's a uh, revenue sharing for future TV money. Is that part of that too? And there that's is. new, so right? That is new. We've never had a, a revenue share in MLS before. It was, it was really important. It was really important for us. It was really important for players to have something there. And, and in some ways it's a building block and, and, you know, in some ways it's a, if the TV deal turns out to be a, a home run, this one or the next one, then, you know, guys are going to get, get their fair share of it. And that was important. And it was important to have that sort of upside, upside protection, I think is, is, is one way to think about it. So would that be like transferable in like bonuses or would it be almost like allocated in additional compensation somehow? It'll hit in, in the major sort of buckets of money spent. So there's salary budget, there's GAM, you know, there's mm -hmm. discretionary TAM. So those in, in proportion to where they are today will all increase depending on, you know, what the TV number is. Got it. And they also added something called, um, well, extended or had mandatory charters. And so what was, what was the need for this? So like a mandatory charter flight, 16 legs. That's yeah. So believe it or not, um, you know, charters were not common in MLS until, until we redid this deal and, and we made a lot of progress and you can see, you can see that, that there's progress throughout the deal. When COVID struck, one of the first things that, that had to be done for players to safely travel around the country was to charter. That's continued. All, all players are chartering to every game in MLS. And, and that's certainly one that we think should continue to MLS's credit so far. They've agreed. And it, that's an important one. And, and, and honestly, one that, that it's a quality of play issue. It's, it's, a, it, it's just such an issue that needs to be taken care of at this point in the league that I was surprised that you had to put a minimum there. I, I was a basketball manager for the University of South Carolina, and we chartered every flight everywhere we went. You know, this is, you know, college, of course, and we get meals and all those kind of things taken care of. So I was just yep. surprised that it had to be put in there. We were, we were uh, surprised isn't the right word. We didn't feel like we should have had to, but, but we couldn't, you know, no pro progress was really being made across the board in the lead up to 2020. So it was an issue that we said has to get better, has to make improvements. And we want, you know, again, we always want more. We thought it should be every game. We thought teams at least should have the discretion to do that, which 
Um, again, now that and, it, and I'll give some credit to MLS, they haven't they haven't backed off that yet. So that's a good thing. So when it comes down to the next CBA coming up, because we still have you know, we're halfway under this one, when do you start negotiating for the new one? And is that already yeah. started? Do you already have your lists? <laughs> you're holding back and saying, okay, this is what I'm my cards are being held for. Yeah, I mean, we always have a list, right? We know we just lived through this. We just did three CBAs in the course of 12 months. So to say, you know, first, you just never get everything you want. And to say we're not aware of what the issues are or where we wanted more or even new areas, like, yeah, of course we are. Um, there's not a black and white answer. I don't know what the answer is when, when we start negotiating again. The last cycle, we started really early and then we kind of still finished late because you know, we redid it twice. So there's probably some scars there that need to heal and move forward before like we're back at the table. But I also think with the 2026 World Cup out there and there's going to be a lot of a lot of player leverage and a lot of just a lot of excitement around soccer that, you know, it's hard to predict exactly how that's all going to play out. Or like I said, there's not a perfect answer. You go to back to the table at this point. It's been a little bit different, I think, in each negotiation for us. Interesting. What is your favorite part of the job? You know, kind of like the little things that you do every day that you'd be like, I can't believe I'm getting paid to do this. I mean, my favorite part of the job is just connecting with players. Like it just, it keeps me connected to the game. Again, it feels like they're my family. It feels like I'm looking out for them. It feels like I'm the big brother and soccer players. We're all the same. doesn't matter. Like the game's the same. People are the same. Like those connections. Like if you ask me what my favorite part of playing and looking back at my career was like, man, I made so many friendships. All my best friends played soccer at some level. You know, some of them I've known for longer, so they played with me in middle school. But some of my, you know, friends that I made at the professional level, like, are still some of my best friends, too. And that continues today. Like, those relationships are by far my favorite part of the job, for sure. Awesome. All right. So our last segment is called Stoppage Time. It's Stoppage Time. And I'm just going to fire some questions here. You just tell me quick answers that you have. So do you have a favorite personal ritual or something that you kind of do all the time, whether it's in your job or personal life? Uh, I used to have more when I played. Now it's my rituals are around whatever my kids are doing. <laughs> <laughs> totally understand. I understand. Um, do you have a favorite unplugged activity? Oh man, I don't get unplugged enough. I'm, I'm on my phone a lot. <laughs> do you still play? I know you've had some injuries, but do you still play like, adult league or anything like that i don't man my hip i actually had a hip replacement about 18 months ago so i've 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 started running and stuff again and i i feel a little bit more in shape than i did but but uh i watch the game a lot i don't play it a lot okay fair enough all right do you have like a snack go-to snack but you're like all right i always gotta have something of these around the, the, my best snack is what my kids don't finish, which ends up being like chicken strips and leftover hamburgers and French fries, unfortunately. Definitely. Yeah, I know. You're, you're the garbage can, right? I am. And I, I eat I eat relatively ha- uh, healthy until like the end of the day when I'm cleaning up their food and then it's the problem. <laughs> um, all right. What design impresses you more, interior design or exterior? And it doesn't have to be uh, ex- buildings. It can be exterior. other things. I'm all exterior, being outside and and uh, enjoying the outdoor spaces of a building for me is much, much more important. All right. Uh, do you find starting a project or finishing one more gratifying? 
oh man, I'm the guy that has a hard time like around the house finishing the project. So I love getting started. I love seeing the big changes. And then it's kind of like, ah, it gets a little bit harder after that. Is it the same thing in your position as director? Kind of <laughs> Hopefully <start>? not. Hopefully <laughs> not. No, those ones I like to see get fulfilled and get done and get the result. You like checking off that box at work, but at home you get the excitement. I do. And I think that's why, because I, I do, I have, li- I'm very organized. I have lists and I do. It's very gratifying to check off the box at work. I think it like makes me go the other way at home. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Last one. What recharges you? Oh man, honestly, you know what, for me, it's seeing players in person and it sounds weird, but you just, you know, you, you see the work in real life and that part's awesome. It's really rewarding. It's really rewarding. Great. Well, I appreciate you being on and uh, being with us and helping explain your job is learning and knowing about that. We have somebody that takes care of the players that has that perspective. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. It was fun to be on, so maybe we'll do it again sometime. Sure. There are many former athletes who continue to work in their sport after their playing days, but not everyone excels at this new career. In Ty's situation, I get the feeling that he is a fantastic fit for this role at the MLSPA. His knowledge of the game, MLS history, and understanding of players' needs is crucial to the success of the MLS. A lot has already happened under his leadership. The new collective bargaining agreement in 2025 has a chance to be monumental. Thanks again for listening. Charlotte FC Podcast is hosted and produced by me, Nick Finelli. Please do us a favor and share this podcast with a friend or give us a five-star review. This helps others find our podcast.